Acts chapter 8, from verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Leave your ministry. Leave everything that you are doing right now. Stop preaching here. Stop ministering. Turn away from this successful ministry. Right now. I don't know if it has happened to you where you are enjoying everything that God is doing in your life and then he asks you to stop. Sometimes God tells us to do things that don't make sense to us. Philip has every reason here to ask questions. He has every reason to use his successful ministry as an excuse. He has every reason to want to stay in Samaria where God is working. But Philip also understands that he is in Samaria because God wants him to be there. He realizes that God used a difficult experience to bring him to Samaria, but that is not God's only way of taking him where he wants him to be. And so in verse 27, he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's probably a proselyte, someone that had converted to the Jewish religion, a Gentile from Africa. Now, God's transforming work turns from Samaria to this Ethiopian eunuch. In essence, God tells Philip, leave this ministry you are having, this successful ministry, so that you can go and minister to one person in the desert. Philip does not only hear God's voice, he obeys it. 
Philip understands that for God to use him, he has to submit to his voice. So he sees the eunuch on a chariot. The eunuch, even though he is a worshiper, he is not saved. He's a religious person. And even though he's religious, he has a God-shaped emptiness in his life that only God can fill. On his way to Ethiopia, he is reading Isaiah 53. There is a desire in him to want to know God. And as he reads Isaiah 53, Philip seeing him, we are told, verse 30, he ran up to the chariot. Clearly, when he was asked to go to this road, Philip didn't know what to expect. He just obeyed. But when he got there, he sees this chariot moving. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading a manuscript. And Philip sees that he realizes probably this is the reason the Lord told me to come here. So he connects what he sees with what he has heard from the Lord and he runs to the chariot and he listens to what he is reading. And he can hear him, him because he is reading loud. He can hear what he is saying. He runs up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and Philip initiates the conversation. Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch says, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me, I need help. See, even though the Bible is given for us, God has also provided teachers to help us understand some of the things that we may not be able to understand. But there's a lot in the Bible that you can understand. That is not an excuse for not reading your Bible. And what you are not able to understand, you can always find help. Is this, the, in, this is the passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading. Uh, in verse 31, how can I say unless someone explains to me? Then he invited Philip to come up to sit with him. 
And this is the passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asks, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Philip hears God's voice. Philip obeys God's voice. Philip finds himself with the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip does what God wants him to do. And he explained the scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So the eunuch has heard the gospel and he realizes that the next thing that needs to happen, the next thing that he needs to do in obedience to God's word is to be baptized. And I know King James continues to say, uh, Philip's response, he says, uh, nothing uh, hinders you from being baptized if you believe. And, and that, that additional portion there was not found in the earliest manuscripts. That's why you don't see it in the other translations like NIV. It's not just been omitted. It wasn't in the earliest manuscripts that were discovered after the King James had already been written or the Septuagint from which the King James was translated. So don't use that as a reason of questioning other translations. Philip said, and, and after that, verse 38, he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went, went down into the water and Philip baptized him because they went down into the water, which means it was necessary for them to use much water. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. There's always joy when we obey 
God's word. And Philip, however, appeared at Zotas and traveled about, traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Baptism here demonstrates that the eunuch has come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I know baptism has been used differently and, and people have different positions in this particular baptism. We have Christians that have reduced it to a symbol and it's because they are trying as much as possible to detach it from salvation so it's just a symbol and people are quick to point at the thief on the cross and say well he was saved but he wasn't baptized that's that's the first person people run to and it's true he was saved and he wasn't baptized he didn't witness either. He never read the scripture either. He actually didn't do anything. And that is very true. We don't need to do anything to be saved. We just need to believe what Christ has done on our behalf and submit to that. But there is something about baptism that we don't fully understand. We, one way that it has been taught for many years is that baptism is a public profession of faith. And most Christians, that's how they see it. But if it's a public profession of faith, where was the public here? In this desert, where was the public? The eunuch must have realized that baptism is required by the Lord for anyone who believes. Whether Philip explained that to him or not, we don't know. But his response tells us that he realized that it was required for anyone who believes. He's been explained the gospel, he's believed it, and he wanted to do the next thing. And Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, go and preach the gospel, teaching them and baptizing them. 
And you continue to see in the book of Acts, when people believe, they are baptized. They are demonstrating that they are in the faith. Whether it's done in public or in private, baptism demonstrates that we are in the faith. Believers, baptism is what I'm talking about. Now, there are other practices of baptism, uh, one of them is infant baptism. It comes from the covenant theology. Let me explain that in a, as sensitive as I can. Abraham, when he was asked to circumcise to be circumcised and to circumcise all, all his household because of the covenant that carried on to the nation of Israel. And they continued to do that, including their children and their slaves. When Christ comes in, salvation comes in, that circumcision is no longer needed because salvation gives us the circumcision of the heart. The new practice that comes in is baptism, immersion baptism. So the question is, when believers are baptized because of the profession of their faith, what happens to their children, especially the ones that are born within that fellowship how do those children how can they be received in the fellowship that is the main question in the circumcision practice those children were circumcised eight days after birth so if Baptism has replaced circumcision, the physical one. I'm not saying baptism has replaced circumcision, but if. So the question is, how, how do we receive these children? That's, that's the question. Before we answer that question, let us go back. Circumcision was only for males, not for women, not for girls. So how were they received into the covenant? No one wants to ask that question. No one is focusing on answering it. So here in baptism, men and women are baptized. And so, in order to also receive the children, the conclusion was, we need to baptize them. And because they are young, 
then infant baptism steps in. I've, I've tried to summarize this, but generally that's the, the connection. So the question for us here is this, as, as families with children, you are a believer, you've brought up your children in church, in this fellowship. How are they received into the church? Now, the practice that we have if your child is born while you are with us is dedication. That's how we, we receive them. But when we receive you, we receive you as a family. So if we, when we receive you as a family, even the children you are going to give birth to are still with us. And we will continue to teach them with the hope that they will make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. No one is born a believer. Many of you were born in hospitals. None of you became a doctor. No one is born a believer. And so, if we continue to teach our children, when they make a profession of faith, they will be baptized. That is the practice that the scripture teaches. The only authority that I can have to talk about it is what the scripture says. And that's why I'm saying there is a lot more that we don't know about baptism. It's not just a physical thing. And that's why we have churches that believe that baptism is necessary for salvation because they realize it's not just a physical thing but it's not clear what role it plays in our lives. I believe it is a practice that the Lord requires us to do whether we fully understand what it means or not. That's what I, I, I see in the scripture. And so the eunuch is baptized here to demonstrate that he has come to faith. The key issue that is taking place here is obedience. Through Philip's obedience, the eunuch becomes a child of God. So the question that I'm trying to answer here is, how does God accomplish his work with us? 
you can say with us, you can say through us. How does God accomplish his work with us? I'm glad you asked. He accomplishes with work, his work with us when we obey his voice. God accomplishes his work with us when we obey his voice. God has always used human obedience to do what he wants to do. Always. When he wanted to rescue the children of Israel from Egypt, he came down. In Exodus, he says, he appears to Moses. He says to Moses, I have heard the cry of my people and I have come down to rescue them. And then he tells Moses, I am sending you. He has come down to rescue his people, but he wants to do it with Moses. Moses has to obey God for God to work with him. Philip has to obey God for God to work with him. And when he obeys, God uses him to serve the Ethiopian eunuch. God accomplishes his work with us when we obey his voice. So how do I hear that voice? How many of us have heard the Lord's voice before? You've heard God's voice. Just raise your hand. I want to see. I want to see who hears from God. Okay. How many of us have disobeyed God's voice before? The hands are more than the one who are here. <laughs> than the ones who are hearing. <laughs> Let me tell you this. If you are a Christian... You have heard God's voice. In fact, you know his voice. Every Christian has had, if you are a true believer, you have had an experience where you said, this is God. Or you looked back and said, that was God. He's the one who was telling me or leading me to do this. Every Christian has had an experience where God showed himself to them, either through a circumstance, either through his word or through other people. Every Christian has had an, has had an experience where they felt God's compelling leading in their hearts. And when that happens, 
you know that it is God. And therefore, every Christian knows the sound of God's voice. He sometimes speaks to us through his word. He sometimes speaks to us through circumstances. And he sometimes speaks to us through other people. But he continues to speak. And every time he speaks, he speaks by his Holy Spirit. And every time he speaks, he speaks at the level you can understand him. The only place in the Bible where God spoke and someone didn't understand is in 1 Samuel. When God called Samuel for the first time, Samuel didn't know God's voice. He thought it was the priest Eli who was calling him. He ran to him and three times the priest told him, if you hear that voice again, say, here I am, your servant, say what you want, speak, for I am listening. The priest understood that this must be God calling Samuel. After Samuel heard God's voice, listened to it, responded to it, he didn't need any help. Every time God spoke to him, Samuel knew that it was God. Because he understood his voice. You understand God's voice. You know God's voice. Maybe the reason you may not be hearing his voice now or listening to him now is because you are expecting him to speak to you differently. When God spoke to Moses from a burning bush, that was God introducing himself to Moses, introducing himself and his voice. You don't hear him speaking from a burning bush anymore. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He tells him, the Lord had said, has said this. The Lord has told me to tell you. But we don't see Moses hearing from God. The only time we see that happening is when he goes to the mountain. But the time, his time in Egypt, he already knows the voice of God. The first time you came to Christ, God introduced himself to you. You know his voice because his spirit indwells you. And you, as a believer, you know that every time you disobey, you are doing so intentionally, deliberately. You are doing it because you want to do it. Not because God is not telling you to stop. Not because God is not speaking to you. It has happened to me where I knew exactly what God wanted me to do, and I did something differently that I wanted to do. I pushed myself 
and I regretted it later. Because when God tells us, don't do this, he already can see how far this can take you. He can already foresee the damage that it's going to cause. And so when he's telling you, do not do this, he is protecting you. And the right choice you can make is to obey his voice. If you are going to be an effective believer, someone that impacts his world, someone that enjoys the presence, the power, and the grace of God, you have to learn to obey his voice. There is no spiritual growth without obedience. There is no progress in our faith without obedience. So every time we choose not to obey, we are delaying our own progress. We are delaying the things that God has for us, the good experiences that he wants us to have, the good plans that he set forward for us. We are delaying that every time we disobey. This is why the children of Israel took 40 years in the wilderness. Their disobedience delayed their progress. I think I've said enough. Like Philip, we must realize that God wants to use us. He wants to work with us. We must also realize that when God reveals his work, he is inviting us to join him. And I have spoken about that here for a long time. His revelation is always our invitation. And we must realize that our willingness to obey God reveals our faith. That's why the Bible says when someone is in sin and you try to help him or her and they continue in sin, let them continue, treat them as if they don't believe. Because our unwillingness to obey God reveals our unfaithfulness to God. Our willingness to obey God reveals our faith. Is that clear? The pastor is okay. We must be willing to tell the unsaved 
to look at Jesus dying on the cross by faith. We must be willing to tell them, look at Jesus dying on the cross for you. Can you see the blood that is flowing out from him? The blood that washes away our sin. The blood that gives us life. Look at him. Feel his heartbeat. And he is calling you, asking you to repent, to turn to him and be forgiven and receive a new life and experience the joy that comes from him. We must be willing to cope, to proclaim Jesus Christ by faith and that will reveal our obedience and so let me give you a challenge as a believer that you are here today I want you to take your time from today, ask God to lead you to one person that you can share the good news of Jesus Christ with. Just one person. Make it your prayer request. God, please lead me to one person that I will share your message with. And as you pray, continue to listen to his voice. Listen and see how God is going to speak to you or lead you to that person. And when that happens, you will know. You will not think you will not say, I think this is the person. No. You will know that this is the person that God wants you to share the gospel with. If you have been praying sincerely. And when you hear that voice, when that leading happens, you will have reminded yourself of how God speaks to you.